0: You're listening to Leading Up with Udemy. This podcast is your guide to developing your skills as an emerging or seasoned leader. I'm Alan Todd, your host and the Vice President of Leadership Development at Udemy. Together, we can work, lead, and live differently to create a better world. Today, we're re-releasing an episode from our second season that's especially relevant right now. It's about leadership as a lifelong practice, how your leadership skills can completely transform your mental health, business performance, community engagement, and home life. And lastly, how you can create more harmony in your life so you can become the person you want to be. In this episode, I'm joined by my good friend, Stu Friedman. Stu founded the Wharton Leadership Program and the Wharton Work-Life Integration Project at the University of Pennsylvania. He's authored several best selling books, including Total Leadership and Leading the Life You Want. Leading Up with Udemy returns for season five in a few weeks on Wednesday, January 10th, and we've got some amazing guests lined up in the new year. In the meantime, I'd also recommend checking out our previous episode where I speak with Greg Brown, the CEO of Udemy. It's another great episode. If you haven't already, follow leading up with Udemy to get notified when season five begins on January 10th. Stu, welcome to the podcast.
1: Alan, it's so great to be here. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah, so super excited. We got a lot to talk about. I want to start off with total leadership. So you've been researching this teaching for 30 years. So how did the book and the research come about?
1: I was researching, practicing, teaching about leadership development on talent management systems. How do companies prepare and select their top leaders? And that was going quite well. There was a lot of interest. In that field, as it was really for the first time really exploding across the corporate landscape, is something that was a necessity. At the same time, I had a long standing interest in adult development and socialization and how we grow as people over time, based on my earlier work as a clinical psychologist. Then, when my first son was born, I had a kind of pivotal moment in which I began to immediately wonder, what am I going to do to make the world a safe one for him to grow up in? And I began to ask everyone around me about that question and what wisdom they had to share with me. And I I raised the question in my Wharton MBA class as soon as I returned to work after his arrival, this is 1987. And students were kind of shocked that I was asking them about what they were going to do as future business leaders to help to cultivate not just the next generation of talent in their organizations, but the next generation full stop. That question really sort of planted a seed in me to rethink my my career and because I had the training and the opportunity and the resources to begin to study this topic, I dug in to what do people need to do to find a way to be the people who they want to be in all the different parts of their lives? And not just as parents. It's, it's more than that. Whatever it is that they do beyond work, how are they going to find a way to create a bit more harmony in their lives so that they can be free to be the people they want to be. So I began to study that in a number of different ways. I created the Work-Life Integration Project at Wharton to engage in research and see what we could learn about how to teach people how to do this. At the same time, in my sort of my day job, I had started up the leadership program at the Wharton School where our charge was cultivate leadership capacity in our students. This was in 1991. So I'm the founding director of the Wharton Leadership
0: Program. You created what is essentially the first leadership development program at Wharton. Like leadership as a topic was it there like when you created the program?
1: A number of uh, other business schools were, you know, beginning to, you know, address the topic. There had been lots of research on leadership and some teaching about it, but not a systematic kind of across the curriculum initiative to really embed the importance of leadership growth. So I was working on both of those fronts. How do we help people grow leadership capacity in a way that works for them? And at the same time, how do they integrate the different parts of life for mutual gain? These two separate strands. I was invited by the CEO of Ford Motor Company, late 90s, to joined the company as the head of leadership development worldwide. And part of my mandate in my initial interview with him was to grow leaders from the point of view of the whole person. And I said that that's what I was going to bring. And he said, great, let's do it. And that's where Total Leadership was invented. And what we did was to take what we'd been learning from our research in the field and in the classroom about how to grow leadership capacity and how to integrate the different parts of life. And we married those. We created a program that we call Total Leadership because it was about the whole person. And we used the principles that we had seen to be effective. And those are to be real, to act with authenticity by clarifying what's important, to be whole, to recognize and respect The whole person to act with integrity to see the whole as one by seeing who the people are that matter most to you in the different parts of life and see how your relationships with them affect the others. And finally, to be innovative, to be acting with creativity by continually experimenting with how things get done, because that's what we saw worked in the field. And so we created a systematic way of people exploring first their values and their vision, describing the stories of where they came from, their vision of the future, their view of the current reality in terms of what was important to them at work, at home, in the community, and for themselves personally, their mind, body, and spirit. To explore those issues, to write about them, to be in a small coaching, peer-to-peer coaching unit where they provide feedback to each other on these questions, and to develop a commitment to supporting each other and to challenging each other and hold each other accountable, to you know exploring and making themselves vulnerable, to exploring these essential questions. Secondly, to then identify what it means to be whole by specifying who the most important people are in your life, in your work domain, your home domain, your community, and for yourself. And that then leads to their doing intentional, mindful, consciously designed experiments to pursue four-way wins, demonstrably improved performance at work, at home, in the community, and for yourself. And that's where they go off and have a lot of fun innovating in how they get things done to try to drive results, improve performance
0: in all the different parts of life by finding greater harmony among them. So it's fascinating. So I'd love to hear... An example, you've had thousands of students and I know some, of. I mean, so many of them have had life changing sort of things. So I want to hear an example of kind of being real, whole, creative, authentic, at work, at home, at play, self. There's a magic to your work that I see as this kind of synthesis across these domains, right? The weaving of a f- the fabric of your life. And that's what's unique about total leadership. So I'm wondering if you can talk about like the great examples that you've seen where, the, where you get this right and magic happens.
1: One of the wonderful things about this approach is that it is entirely customized by and for each participant. And the meta lesson there is that everyone's on their own leadership journey. Every person takes up a different challenge in terms of discovering their values, their vision, the people who matter most in their world, and then innovations for how they get things done, experiments for how they get things done with the conscious intention to make things better in all the different parts. There are nine different kinds of experiments that we've seen when we've researched, what do people do when you ask them, go out there and make a four-way win happen in your life? Well, what does that mean? How do I do that? In the book, there are illustrated you know, examples of how you do this and how you set up a game plan and a scorecard for actually undertaking an experiment. And of course, the purpose of those experiments are to learn what it, takes to create change that is indeed sustainable because it works not just for you, not just for your family, not just for your business, not just for your community, but for all four parts. And sometimes these experiments fail and produce the best outcomes because you learn. So what kinds of experiments? The most common, I would say, is the insight that many people have pretty quickly on, especially when they start talking to their their stakeholders, uh, people who have a stake in their future, that they need to take better care of themselves. And as a result of that, I'm not only going to improve my say mental health or physical health, but I'm also gonna see a change that I expect to see in the quality of my relationships with people at work, my being better attentive and perhaps less impatient with family members,
0: more available to friends. That's a good one, Stu. The whole idea of the whole person, you know, I've had the luxury of looking at just hundreds of reviews of people who've taken total leadership, right? So we've done this, we've run your program with, you know, big Fortune 500 companies. they emerging leaders, those new leaders that are stepping up to management and watching people go through... And saying, you know, the fact that there's a framework and a set of tools and structure has really been helpful. But this idea of kind of weaving this fabric across these different dimensions of life, I think, is is unique to total leadership. buzz around Gen AI isn't going anywhere. Leaders and managers are key to identifying how their companies can use the technology and creating a plan to grow their employees' skills. Learn how Udemy can help at business.udemy.com forward slash Gen AI now. We know that women make up you know, a majority of the college graduates, you know, a little little over 50% and in the workplace, and it's something like 3% of the top CEOs. And you've done a lot of work in not only this balance, but women leaders. And a number of our podcast guests that we've had in the past are top leaders in really big organizations. They've been really successful. Mm -hmm. And one thing I noticed across all of them, that they talked about how difficult it was for them figure out this work-life balance for themselves. And I'll use the word work-life balance and you can sort of chew that apart. But they struggled with fitting into the good old boy network, working past six o'clock at night and trying to figure out like, how am I gonna be a superstar at work and a superstar mom? And I wanted to get your thoughts on what do you think people find challenging about work-life integration, balance, harmony, struggling? And these top performing women that I've spoken to, they had to figure it out on their own. I know you know so much about it, so I'd love to see if we can help a few people get past this. Well, there's
1: no doubt that the women of, of my generation and the generation before were, you know, paving the way. And it, it continues to be a struggle. I mean, we are far from a world in which there's real parity for men and women in in the business world and in, in politics. and But there's been real change. But it's, it's just the beginning. There's all kinds of battles as you're, you know, you're an outsider, you know, you're not given the same level of respect. People steal credit. We are seeing in the business world today, a much greater awareness of an interest in, you know, making the pipeline for leadership a lot richer, a lot more diverse. So what does it take Sponsorship, mentorship, networks of support, and so there's much more conscious effort being made to help people to cultivate those networks of support, which is also an an essential ingredient in being able to integrate the different parts of life. One of the things that we found and that we teach about is how you cultivate networks of support, people who want to help you because you're trying to help them. Back to the question of work-life balance versus harmony, it's much better to think about the possibility for harmony or what I like to call four-way wins. What can you do that's going to make things better at work, at home, in the community, and for yourself? Not or, but and. And when you think that way, when you put on a different set of lenses and look for ways in which you can make things better within your control in all the different parts, you are much more likely to find them than if you assume I've got to give up everything in order to be a success in my in my career. So when you look for those and then you actively pursue them in a way that is intended to make other people successful as well as you, that's why those stakeholder dialogues are so important, it's much more likely to happen than if you assume balance. The other problem with balance is that uh, when I go to my boss to try to you know, arrange for uh, a change in, say, my work schedule, and I say, I need Fridays off. And if you don't give it to me, I'm going across the street to work for, you know, the company next door. You know, that that just sets up a fight. It's much better to say, hey, dear boss, what I'd like to try for the next month is working on a different location on Fridays to see if my performance here in terms of what you care about your boss, actually improves because I'll be able to take care of some other things on that day that enabled me to be more focused and attentive and energized to do the work that I need to do for us. Can we try that for a month and then see if my performance doesn't improve as a result of that change? And if it doesn't, then you know, we can go back to the way things are now or we can try something different. It's a different conversation when you're focused
0: on mutual gain as opposed to, I need this from you. Can you talk about that, Stu, just for a moment? I think a lot of people, early career, a lot of our listeners would be, they they struggle with how to have that difficult conversation, that tough conversation, and you framed it through a mutual gains approach. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit more and give some advice about how to get what you really want, how to use tact and influence and persuasion. I know these are things, but they they might be helpful for those that are struggling to have that conversation. Let's double click and talk about how to help people to have better conversations, how our listeners with their managers about getting things they want.
1: Well, it doesn't come free and you got to make it happen yourself. So one thing to keep in mind from the very start is you have a lot more freedom and control than you think. But you have to make it happen, and it starts with you gain the confidence in doing so. And this is what most people are afraid, you know, to ask for what they want because they think they're going to be shamed or just told no, and they're going to feel bad about themselves, uh, or they're going to, you know, hurt their reputation. So that's why we start with clarifying what's important to you. You have to be real with yourself. What do I really care about? What really matters to me? What are the most important things in my life? What's my purpose? You know, what's my vision of the world I'm trying to create? What's that better tomorrow that I want to bring people along with me to? That's what leadership is all about. Envisioning a better tomorrow, bringing people along with you. So you've got to start with that. If you just, you know, are asking for something that you think you need right now, you're not going to have the same level of confidence and calm about asking for what's important to you because you're not going to be really clear about why you're asking for it. So it's all rooted in values. That's where it begins. Once you have that clearer, and of course your values and your vision for what you care about, that changes over time. Mine certainly did when my first child was born, but there've been other episodes in my life history that have shaped my values, changed them, just as for you, just as for everybody. So being clear about what you care about Then you got to think through from your boss's point of view, what does she need from you? When she looks at you, what does she, what does she see? And that again, requires stepping back and thinking about her worldview. What's important to her. And you write about that. You write to yourself. Maybe you share that with other people and get their advice. Really? Do you sure she thinks that? Why, why is that? Uh, And what do you expect of her? What do you need from her? So that you have a point of view about what you think she needs of you and what you need of her. And the the essence of the stakeholder dialogues and the magic in these conversations and getting more skilled at having these conversations is to enable people to see first that you care about what they're thinking, how they feel. And then to give them something to respond to so that they can tell you what they really think. So, here, dear boss, are the four things that I think are most important to you. Do I have that right? Instead of, how am I doing, boss? In which case, you know, you just get either generalized, kind of, you know, fuzzy garbage, or you get things that are empty. You're doing great. Just keep going. Love it. Okay, next. But if instead you are specific about, here's what I think is most important to you. Do I have it right? What am I missing? You're going to get. First, that person is going to see that you're taking them seriously because you've thought about it. You have the courage to give them something to respond to. Like, here's what I think is in your head. And the way you get past the fear of being wrong is to say, I'm sure I don't have the whole picture. I don't know fully, but I want to know and I want to learn. So do I have it right? What am I missing? And if you're actively inquiring in that way, you are leaning forward. That's a leaderful stance because you're not afraid to say what you think and to be wrong and to learn. And people value that. So when you have that kind of conversation, then you frame your request, whatever it is, using what you now know about what you care about and what they care about and to put it in context. So here, I'd like to try this experiment now you know, to take Fridays off for the next month and framing it as an experiment. We use that language from the very beginning. is super important because it says to the people around you, this is not permanent. I'm going to be a part of figuring out whether it's working or not. It's a partnership. And we're going to learn based on data from what's happening with the experiment. So when you put it in those terms, you're much more likely to have the courage and the confidence to say what it is that you want to try and why it's good for them as well as just for you.
0: Yeah, man, that is just such powerful advice too. I mean, I think if I summarized it, it's everything you say, you're talking to the boss with empathy. Right. You're, you're kind of oozing empathy and being thoughtful about their point of view. And I really like framing as experiments. And I just think about these interchanges. I think a lot of people early in their career don't know how to use dialogue. Right. So they're not skilled in it. They haven't learned or mutual gains or influence techniques to, to speak in terms of the other person's interests. So I think that's a really super powerful set of things, practices that people can have to, to truly get what they want by using that power of influence. Yeah, it has to be about we, not me. We, not me. Yep, love it. Last thing here about increasing the odds of success, creating peer-to-peer networks, any thoughts, like just to summarize total leadership, let's say I want to go practice, like of course you can take the course, of course you can buy the book, but I want to give, some tips, like give me a tip or two to how to cement a new habit. I know that most behavior change doesn't stick, I know that there's all kinds of, you know, sort of problems, you know, making change in one's life. And you've been in the business of studying behavior change and practicing and teaching this from a leadership perspective. How do I cement the new habits or how do I build that network that's so important to me? How do I build this new ability to engage in these kind of very productive conversations for we wins? just final, final thoughts on some success factors for people.
1: Well, creating change is, uh, is not easy. Being conscious and deliberate as to why you're changing, you're trying to change whatever it is that you're trying to do differently and rooting that in, in your deepest sense of why you're alive and what you're doing here on earth. But beyond that, it's, as you said, building in accountability structures. And basically what that means is people who care about you helping you by asking Like, what are you doing? How's it going? How can I help you? And they're much more likely to want to do that if you're doing the same for them. So whatever it is that you're trying to do, you're never going to forget why it's good for you. (laughs) You know, to have, I don't know, more time to go for a walk or whatever it is that you crave, listen to music, play music, uh, you know, be with your friends, uh, work on, you know, challenging puzzles, whatever it is that, you know, you desire, you're never going to forget that. The leadership mindset has you thinking more about how other people would gain from your doing whatever it is that you want to do than you, so that they're pushing you to do what it is that you want to do because it's good for them also. Everyone has to have people around them supporting them. Show me someone who's gained something of significance or created something of value in the world and tell me where they've done it on their own. And I've i never seen it so building in thinking about who's going to benefit from what it is that you're trying to do and helping them to see that what you're trying to do is for them so that they want to push you that's what you want is people around you saying come on let's go how can i help you
0: yeah powerful powerful Stu, powerful set of statements that you closed on i love it final question What are you curious about learning now? And it could be personal, professional, could be go across the four ways, whatever you like.
1: I'm in the middle of reading Don Quixote, the great, really the first modern novel written in the early 1600s by Miguel de Cervantes and just having so much joy in that experience. So there's there's much that I'm learning about and literature, you know, more broadly, both poetry and prose, that informs all the work that I do professionally, but also how I understand myself in the world and in my family, and as a, as a citizen. All right, Stu, thank you, Alan. Thank you so much for having me. This has really been a lot of fun.
0: If you enjoyed this episode and you're ready for more. Listen to our previous episode where I speak with Greg Brown, the Udemy CEO. We talk about diligence and controlling the controllables in our personal and professional lives. Leading Up With Udemy will be back for season five on January 10th. If you haven't already, follow Leading Up With Udemy to get notified when the new season begins in the new year. The Leading Up podcast is produced by Udemy in partnership with Pod People. Special thanks to our production team, Alex McManus, Amy Machado, Brian Rivers, Michelle O'Brien, and Carter Wogan. Our original theme is by Soundboard.